Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 17th of March 2019. The weather up where I am is still basically winter. Well, it's not basic, it is winter. <laughs> and it's just snow again uh, on and off for the next few days, in fact. I had a, an actual partial thaw, not long, but a very short one, a few days ago there. At least it got some of the snow off the roof, which certainly does help. But it is going to snow, as I say, on and off for the next few days. And one day, hopefully, I'll wake up and it'll be the permanent thaw. And I just have to hang on and hope for it, because everything else is hanging on and hope for it too, including the animals out there. It's pretty bad. Long, long winter, from snow from September right to the present time. And it hasn't disappeared. It just accumulated more and more and more. And if this does have a fast thought, it'll be murder, because... With so much snow around, there'll be floods everywhere, and all, all the side roads and country roads, etc. Because it, it, there's so much deep, deep snow everywhere. Astonishing. But that's what you get in, in times of global warming, you see, and uh, longer and longer winters, apparently. And in everything that happens, actually, it doesn't matter what it is, it's put down to global warming, because that's the mantra for the new religion to bring humanity together across the world. In a kind of war situation, we fight, we fight the big thing, the, the threat from out there, that big threat, you see, that they talked about so many times from different prime ministers of Canada back in the 50s and 60s up to the present time. That's what they said, they'd have to have a, an enemy to unite the planet, you see. But could it be that they throw up all weird things like, oh, aliens or you name it, or they've had all the movies, it's in the movies too, you know, oh, asteroids or... We'd all come together and blow them out the, of the, the universe, etc., etc. But then they settled on climate change. First of all, of course, they, they were going to have an ice age back in the 1960s. And that's what was the mantra then from all the scientific puppets that are well, well padded puppets, mind you. And they were prattling on about the coming ice age. It would all freeze to death, for goodness sake. And. Every side buying heavy clothing, yeah. but it didn't happen. It, instead, it, the weather went the other way a little bit, so they, they, they settled on global warming. Now, global warming is actually easier to cause if they want to cause it. You can get man-made global warming by the very methods that have said that it spread the skies to make it happen. <laughs> when you look back at all the old scientific studies, that all kinds of particulates they could spray in the sky. And even, literally, because sunlight that would pass between them, hit the earth, and go back up, and they could bounce back down again off the particles. So they've, they've thought about everything, really. And they can make the appearance of anything happen, and the heavy spraying, of course, geoengineering. So many studies, so many patents over the years, and but so many university articles churned out, too, by participants. Because a lot of universities get paid to do all these different studies, in fact, most folk make any decent money at all today in the new type of, the new perfect Soviet capitalist system. It really is off the public trough, isn't it? That's where the money is. We pay for everything. We pay for private businesses, big corporations, that is. Not small business, but big corporations. We pay for their setups, etc., big factories and all that. So it's called public-private partnerships. The private corporations own the big businesses, once we've paid and built them all for them. 
all our infrastructure. So it's quite a system we live in, really. It's so amazing, really. I guess it's true. I mean, you've got to congratulate people who, who noticed that the right kind of terminology and scientific technique applied to particular areas. And, and mind you, it's not that hard if you get total command of all media and education. You can make the children believe anything. And they'll grow up believing it. So why, why wouldn't they want to believe Who would really think that there are people creating this big massive religion, taking years in, in the making in order to control the whole population of the planet and bring it down and so on? Why would you think that? But, but then again, it's all out there that that's what they thought up. That is what they thought up. The whole idea there's too many people They've got all these studies. Oh, each person born will consume so much of this and so much of that of the Earth's resources in the the time that they live, and even to keep warm and so on, all this energy. They've got all these estimates and statistics thrown at you to try to say that, well, yeah, I guess guess we should all just commit suicide, eh? You know, I I watched one of these terrible end-of-the-world scenario uh, movies about a a comet or something, or not, it was a meteor. There's a whole bunch of them over the years that keep churning them out. The same story, really. But they bring in situation ethics with them, too. You don't realize you're getting programmed all the time. Situation ethics. This particular one, like a, a deep impact one. Maybe that was the name of it, I don't know. Again, they get well-known actors in it, number one. Put a big budget into it, number two. Then the scientists warning everybody, you know, what we have to do, yada, yada, yada. And all the authorities go into action. Everybody must believe that the world's going to end. But at the end, they get a kind of lotto for the general population. They've already picked you know, a few thousand of the, the, the scientific types, the really educated types they'll need to run a survival system underground, under base, underground. And a lotto for the ones that are left. And, of course, anybody over 50 in the movie version, uh, you're about the picture anyway, unless you were a scientist and important. But anybody over 50 or anybody really with medical illnesses or anything, well, you would just be expendable. You'd have to go up there and get a bottle of scotch and, and get sozzled as it comes in. And that was it. But that's the situation ethics. And you've been trained all the time through entertainment. Entertainment is never static in propagandizing different agendas that you're living through today. And in fact, you, you, you probably, if you're about 30, you, you've had it, that a real heavy indoctrination from day one in the classroom. We've got to remember how many politicians over the last 50 years or more came out with the same statement about threats from outside and we'd all come together to, and the whole, as a unitary planet, basically, to fight some enemy, a common enemy. And then you find Ronald Reagan, too, took up the, the cry, oh, if there was a threat from outer space, from out there, we'd all have to come together and, and use our resources and our initiative and our intelligence and, and be basically one to fight it off. And then you get peace, too, of course. But what they're really talking about is how do you get the public to give up all their rights and freedoms in a wartime situation? Because war, you accept it readily. You're going to get protected, and you're all at risk. So leave it to experts to rule it all. And it's the military at that time to run the system while you go through this war. That's what you do. Henry Kissinger said the same thing too. That if if some threat hits, say California, then the people would welcome UN 
troops in uh, for food, etc., to keep the peace and to manage some big disaster, whatever it happened to be, you said, and people would give up all their rights and freedoms because of fear, fear of starvation or whatever else that they needed to at the time. And he gave that speech as well. So it's well known from those who set up at the planning stages of war strategy, what can be used to, to get the public together for other agendas, for the real agenda. And the real agenda is, and Kissinger was a part of that too, was overpopulation. You go way back, you'll find the same thing with the two Huxleys, the brothers, and even before them, uh, you, you had their granddad, uh, uh, Thomas, you know, Huxley, uh, he, he really was Darwin's bulldog, as he called it. And you find that there were always problems about, about overpopulation of the wrong people. Right down to, way, way back even further from the days of Thomas Malthus, that had taken the idea from an, another philosopher, actually, not an economist, but a philosopher, because the idea has always been there. You've got to understand history. History has horror shows if you really open the real books. And there really are real books. There are real archives that certain professors will admit to. Not everyone gets access to them. In the Middle Ages, a natural thing that they did was to occasionally, if they thought there was too many people or if they heard because you, you, you always have what we call in Britain or Scotland, clipe. You get a clipe. A clipe is somebody that will be all pally with you, lives amongst you. You think it's one of you, and they go off to the boss, the boss man, the baron, or whoever it happens to be, and says the people are getting restless. Or get, they claim that there's not enough food being left for them. You're taking all the food off them that they grow. They're getting restless. So uh, there's always, a, well, I guess, a particular number of peasantry that you might not control. And they had advisors, good advisors, just like they always do in all ages. They would decide to basically starve certain folk off. Or if the plague was coming in, they'd, they'd simply burn down their houses. The winter would come and they'd freeze to death. They'd have no food and they'd, they'd starve. That's how they'd reduce populations. And they talked about it quite candidly. This idea of the nice society is a pretty recent figment of imagination put upon the public, again, through the, the new education and the new propaganda, which is the uses electronics, radio, television, to the present day, all different gadgets and gimmicks. But the fact is, beforehand, it wasn't quite as easy to control the public. And I've given talks before and how even London had, had thousands of spies all through it in, the, say, the 19th century, for instance, probably in the 20th century, but literally, they, 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 on a kind of contract basis, who lived amongst the people, walked amongst them, lived in different streets, and they put in reports every so often, and the reports went up and up and up to those who managed the big, big city and the government. And they, they would find out who, all different factions, that they were, they were complaining about different things, so, so they could stave them off and stop it from happening, basically. Today, of course, we're all monitored. It's much easier. But we're monitored for our safety. It's called terrorism, you see. And so uh, with, with anybody being a potential terrorist, you could, you could be one tomorrow. You might wake up as one. Like a disease, you know. Like a, you might wake up tonight as a vampire, you see. But that's what they've, they've sold you, uh, is the reason for giving up all your rights and freedoms. It, it's astonishing. It, it can take centuries and centuries of combative roles and wars and mass slaughters of the peasantry 
who rise again, hopefully in another age, to, to demand their rights again. But it took forever to get these rights of privacy. And just with a few free, it's like, oh, if you take two of these and one of that and let us snoop into this and that, then, then you know, it'll be cheaper, etc. And away they go. That's all they should have done. You wouldn't have needed all those spies, you know. You know, fill up what you're doing this week in this bit of paper and hand it to the boss man. It's quite astonishing, isn't it, how, how conned we are. But you see, society runs on conology, the art of conning people. And that's a really, really high, high degree, if you get one, in conology. And believe you me, they hire lots of, of good con men out there, and women. But the guys are, I must say, they're a bit more practice at it, you see. Children are good at it, you know. Children are natural good con people. Uh, did you spill that milk on that table? No, I didn't. You know, as I stand there with a glass here and it's right in front of them and it's all over the place. Or he did it. Or, or, or whatever, or the puppy did it, you know. But it's the same thing as Eve, you know, Eve, you know the devil made her do it. Same thing. So your owners, you see, see you as a wild beast, and so they've got to train you, train you to be subservient. And to be subservient, you must have something in common with other people. And what you have is survival. You like to survive. It's quite nice, actually. And, and if, if he can survive and eat and keep warm in cold climates, and they, well, it's, more, it's pleasant to survive. You, know? you can go through hard times too, but some days are quite nice. And that's really how it is, you see. So they go through all this trouble to convince us that we're, we're the problem. So the Club of Rome, just like the Prime Ministers and all the rest of them before, and way back to Malthus, says, and there really is there's too much of you, you see, the, the, the general peasantry. You might think you're middle class at the bottom, but you're not. You're, you're, Julian Huxley was quite adamant about the people who thought they would get in to be saved and to procreate their own genes in the future. He says, how, how mistaken they will be. <laughs> there you go. So if you help them, yeah, you might, you might get financially uh, be better off at the moment, but eventually it'll, it'll hit you too. So depopulation was always a problem, just going all the way back to the Middle Ages and before. And it was quite natural at times, too, for nobility to get a group together and just go slaughtering peasantry. There's no laws against it, you see. Petitions could be handed into kings and queens and all that. And, and sometimes when they handed, like it happened in England once, uh, the people, the peasants, handed a petition into the king, and he rode out and had a little chat with them. Then he rode back in again, and then once they split up to go their different ways back through where they'd come from in England, they were divided, you see. They sent out the army and they slaughtered them. So just to teach them, because obviously if the king says, oh, you're quite right, you're quite right, you really do need a, a bit of bread extra, maybe a loaf for amongst the ten of you once a week. You know? And if you get that, you see, you might want more. Right? Well, where would that lead, eh? Where would, less profit for the king and all the feudal overlords, etc. They can't have that, can they? So anyway, that, that's really what's always been a problem with, with those who rule. It's to do with rulership. And don't ever think that you're living in a better time. You're better controlled today by the, the leadership that are scientifically trained in techniques. The long, long study of techniques that use, as I say, incredibly well-documented testing on society and studying of society and all kinds of psychological and behavioral situations. It's so precise. 
and even more so now with instant studying, instant and real-time studying of are you copying the meme and chatting on, 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 on the internet about blah, 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 etc. In real time, they know exactly what works and what doesn't. And if I'll tweak you, it get the emotions going. And when the emotions get going, you forget logic, you see. And then you're at their mercy. So as I say, you know, that's uh, what the Club of Rome said. And in a beautiful way, around the aliens or like, they thought, well, human, humans believe. And, and I tell you, it's, I, I've tested out myself on people, even from one year to the next, just casual, you know, casual acquaintances and stuff. And you'll say, remember last summer or last June or July? And, you know, people can't remember, especially winters. They can't remember because with climate control, going from the house to their vehicle to the, wherever they work, coming back again, they're seldom outside the vehicle in the cold. And as long as the infrastructure keeps plowing roads with snow and so on, then they won't take much notice of things. It's really astonishing how how we we adapt to artificial systems and very quickly adapt and you never think about it. Most folk don't think about it. So this is all well understood. So the Club of Rome came up with the, the idea and, and a beautiful dialectical approach as well, right? So Ranga, they're just an enemy from out there. Because you have to fight something like, like an alien art. There's so many old sci-fis about it. Aliens invading Earth, etc. Who would want to come here? Huh? Hey? So aliens invading Earth. And you get the humanity all coming together to fight the aliens to save us all. We all become brothers and sisters. And, and it's all utopia. That terrible word, utopia, that always is a horror show in reality. And we become one, right? But mind you, they don't give you a sequel to, to show you how it all divides as soon as you, somebody else takes your loaf of bread and run away over there with it. But that's the idea behind it all. So they hit an idea, the Club of Rome, that man would be, the, would be the problem, not the enemy out there. No, man is the actual enemy. Isn't that wonderful dialectic? That's what's put off. I didn't realize I was the enemy. Oh, my God, I didn't realize I was a bad person here. So really, you end up fighting yourself. And so you'll pay taxes and carbon taxes, and you'll do what you're told by the commissars, the climate commissars, the new priesthood, you see, and and they'll reduce the population as well. And you've already had children coming forth over the last few years asking to be sterilized, to save the planet. That's their indoctrination at school, you see. And it can work. You can train them to do anything and believe anything with enough well-placed propaganda under the guise of education or whatever you want to call it. And so therefore, it's, uh, that's what they hit upon. But isn't that wonderful? I mean, right that, oh, but to fight that, we're fighting ourselves. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that great? It really, you got to hand it to them, eh? They know their stuff, don't they? Because the whole problem has always been, how do you get them to give up their rights and be managed by science? That's what socialism's all about. A world run in a super Sovietized system of scientists and professionals. And you'll do what you're told. You might not even get born. They might not need you to be born. In fact, they've said that to the Georgia Grindstones. Oh, take the population way down. We don't need all these people. But isn't it wonderful that they get, they get a good chunk of the population living off our tax money and training us who pay them all? Uh, so they can brainwash us and manage us like, like, like animals. Isn't that wonderful? And we accept it. 
without question. But mind you, if you get them young enough, there's nothing they will not accept. Russell said it better than Russell said it, because he had an experimental school way, 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 way back to, to try different things on, on the children, you see. He wasn't the only one. Other countries did it too. And it really, he said, you make children believe that snow is black. And you persuade them to do anything if you use the right technique he's talking about. And technique, when you see that word technique, that's what they're talking about. It's techniques of manipulation, coercion, and getting people to, to obey you, basically, without realizing that they're being ordered. You see, you're the bad person. There's too many of you. Do you really want to pass on your genes? Hmm? And so they sterilize you one way or another, chemically. And if, uh, well, Russell talked about it. Different ways to do it. You can put stuff in drinking water, as an example. Put it in the food, as an example. You can make it prevalent, like bisphenols, for instance, through everything. And you start getting folk to drink out of plastic all the time, and etc. This has all been tested. They knew this years ago what, what it does before they gave it to you. But they'll always, again, when it comes, oh, the crazy conspiracy theorists, eh? Hmm? Well, I'll put some things up tonight about it. And, and again, they can say, well, well, that's old data. That's like five years old. Oh, for goodness sake, that's antique. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? The agenda has always been, how do you get them to give, give up the rights? Be advi- not just advised, but completely managed. And, of course, into it, they bring a whole bunch of different branches of the sociological sciences, like freedoms, positive freedom versus negative freedom. And they've got all kinds of, always a positive and negative, you see. Um, Tony Blair was an advocate of this too. How, do you, how can you manipulate the people by taking away their freedoms? Can you have a, a, sort of a bit of both at the same time? He went to see Isaiah Berlin about so it was his mentor and got advice from, from him on how to manage the public. Tony Blair was not, you would understand, he was not a, what he call a British politician. If you have a British politician standing for Britain, the people make the mistake of thinking he, he's one of you. And he thinks about Britain the same way as you do, because he's living there. And nothing is further from the truth. Your whole concept of what countries are, what nations are, in this day and age are completely, completely at odds as what they really are. Your politics is a fiction. Uh, this word democracy, uh, by, at one time they go through a pretense occasionally of listening to the public once in a blue moon. They never do that. I haven't, I haven't seen that done for about 50 years, at least. And the couple of times they give you a show of democracy, well, well, you have a vote, they never fulfill it. I can remember Toronto, when they're doing the, the United Nations mega cities, and that's what it is, it's United Nations policy for mega cities and super cities. And way back, you know, way back, years and years ago, in preparation for the smart city, you see, before you even heard the term smart city, things are worked out 50, 60, 70 years ahead of time, always. They talked about that. Oh, there's a lot of little, little or smaller townships that would be absorbed into this thing, and the local councils would be demolished as well. Uh, a lot of people didn't want it, because if you don't have control over your little area, you don't have any control at all. 
That's what government's really for. Your own local government, your council, looks after the problems in your area. And you can go right to them. They won't live far away and they can come to you. But once you put them somewhere else, then it becomes abstract, very abstract thing altogether. And eventually you give up and you're governed from afar. It's a centralized government. The old Marxist idea for total power. You really are living in a fiction of what you think reality is and what governments are and all the rest of it. And governments never stand up really for the people. If they do, be very wary. Because it's a con. It's for something else, you see. They'll take rights away from you. And they're very good guises. You say, oh, I'm for that. I'll vote for that. And away you go. And bang, you just lost a bunch of rights before, before you even thought about it, really. It's like driving licenses. You know, these started off to be voluntary. Folk had never thought of driving licenses. And then, next thing you know, it's, it's, it's insurance. With snob appeal. Do you have insurance? No, I don't borrow with that, you know. And I say, oh, well, I have it. Yeah, I've got quite a good policy here, actually. Oh, you can afford that, can you? Oh, yes, yes. yes. And that's how it's done. Snob appeal works awfully well amongst the public. That's why they wear brand names. They advertise brand names in their clothing and in their shoes and everything, eh? On everything. Here they are buying an overpriced piece of junk, whatever it happens to be, and they've got the brand of the thing to advertise for free. What a fool. What a fool, honestly. You can make people do anything, eh? At one time they used to hire billboard guys. You see it in old movies, silage boards. And a sign on the front and the back to advertise a, a cafe or something. Now they do it volunt. They pay to do it now. I'll buy that. Never ever underestimate the stupidity of humans. Never do that. Never ever do that. The proof is there at the beginning of every winter. Go to your favourite. Uh, if you're at a cafe somewhere in a town or a city, go there. Uh, about 6 p.m. or maybe 5 p.m. as they're all coming from work and watch them try to stop when the first little snowfall they've had. It could be an inch or two of snow and you'll see them flying along and and they can't stop and so on because they they go in the same speed as as they always go. The the white stuff everywhere doesn't seem to uh, compute. People are, but we are, honestly. we're, we're, We're pretty awful. That's domestication, you see. Look at all the stories about animals. And talk about sheep, hmm? and how they just panic and they they, they 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 bolt in one direction like a school of fish. If there's one out in front, they'll all follow it. But that, that's what happens. And that, you see, animals that you that you're going to consume or whatever are bred to be domesticated, uh, subservient, basically obedient. It, their wildness, their natural instinct is taken out of them, bred out of them, actually bred out of them. Now, in this day and age, mind you, where they can literally induce sterilization through various means, including chemical, you better be, you start thinking about things, eh? Start thinking. Because maybe we're not as swift up the top here as we like to think we are. I've read the articles over the years, out loud, in fact, <laughs> to do with... The, even the UN studies, the WHO and so on, and different departments for education, talking about the IQ dropping points here. Things like that don't happen by themselves. It doesn't happen by itself. It's an innate thing in you. 
but it's dropping. And we don't seem to worry about it. Maybe it's because it's gone past the point their intellect can't grasp it, and we just give up. Oh, well, so what? So there you go, eh? It does work, doesn't it? Let's look back at one of these articles here to do with something you're probably fed up hearing because you've heard so many disputes about it and so many, uh, oh, conspiracy nutcases, etc., 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 on the studies done about it. And it's to do with fluoride, for instance, something that so many folk consume. And don't forget, go into the history of fluoride. And, uh, for instance, in America's here, there's a scientist or a dentist who literally lauded it. I'm sure he was well padded and paid for it to push it at one point. He read all the studies, and, he's, and later on he came out against it and said that he was deceived, etc., etc. But he, they went through the problems that it causes, not just in your bones, and it does cause problems in bones and your teeth. You'll see little specks where it'll accumulate in the teeth, etc. You've got to go into the history of it and the, the countries that dozed their public with it, or even, even countries they conquered with it and put it in the because it made people more passive. Think about it. Now let's do one of the many, many studies that are professionally done by scientists, and this particular one is from India, and it's from the Medical and Allied Sciences, is the name of the journal actually, for India. And its original title was Neurodegenerative Changes in Different Regions of Brain, Spinal Cord, and Sciatic Nerve of Rats Treated with Sodium Fluoride. It's got the, the participants here, and they were from the Department of Zoology, University of College of Sciences, Osmania University, Hyderabad, and Andhra Pradesh, India. And they go into... The abstract here, this is 2011, I think it was. And fluoride is known to cross the blood-brain barrier and alter the structure and function of neural tissue. And there's a reason you've got that blood-brain barrier for many things, reasons actually. But so fluoride goes across it with a problem. There are few authoritative reports on neurodegenerative changes in the hippocampus, neocortex, cerebellum. Uh, spinal cord and sciatic nerve and fluoride intoxication, we report the alterations in the structure of neuronal tissue after chronic administration of sodium fluoride for 60 days to rats. And they had, they had their, their control groups, two groups, you see. Twelve male Worcester rats were divided equally into two groups. One group received 20 parts per million of sodium fluoride, and the other group, which served as a control, received tap water for 60 days. And this is what they, they found, you know, this is a properly, they, don't forget to dissect every single part, little tiny slices of <laughs> the, the animal afterwards, as they do with people too, by the way, for the folk who think it's just done with animals, but they understand all this. But anyway, uh, yeah, it, it goes through amazing tests of, of tissue tests and so on. And chemical tests. Anyway, it says the body weights and organic somatic index of brain in the sodium fluoride treated animals were significantly reduced relative to the control group. And so, so actually, the organic, the brain, and so on, becomes lighter. Huh? A tissue fluoride levels of hippocampus and neocortex, cerebellum, spinal cord, and sacred nerve all increase significantly in fluoride tree rats. Electron microscopy of the hippocampus, neocortex, cerebellum, spinal cord, and sacred nerve showed neurodegenerative changes in the fluoride treated group. 
compared to controls, acts on deterioration, that's your nerve sheet, around the, the into your nerves and so on. And myelin sheath, that protects the, 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 the actual uh, little dendrons that come out of the, of the nerve itself. And degeneration and dark cells with scanty cytoplasm were observed in spinal cord and sciatic nerve in the treated group. Other distinctive morphological alterations observed were uh, vacuolated swollen mitochondria and neocortex, hippocampus and cerebellum, and myelinated fibers with breaks and continuity. Uh, you'll actually find these, you know, isn't it interesting too? You'll find a lot of this with the, with the effects in the mitochondria, with multiple sclerosis, for example. And it'll harden too, but these are actually, they're actually cracking in, in the sheath that protects things of the nerves. And with myelin splitting and vacuolated Schwann cell within cerebellum and sciatic nerve, respectively, etc., etc. Anyway, this is a, quite a good report, one of many, I'm sure. And there's no mystery in this, is what I'm saying. This is the stuff that's in your, in your drinking water to help you. It's, even, do you understand that, that this term, to help you, is used as, as a horror show? It's a, don't ever forget that. It's always used. Or it's necessary to take rights away. Or it's necessary to do that, to make your teeth better. Necessary, necessity, that word. Believe you, that's always used. It's necessary to take the, all your rights away from you and make you live in your, your overcrowded cities because of global warming yeah. and sustainability. It's necessary. It's necessary to sterilize you because there's too many of you. If that was a problem, if that was a problem, and there's too many of you, and your own populations are dropping like a stone, according to all the studies I've done over the years and read out on the air, in fact, if that's the case, why would you have mass migration from relatively large family type of, of uh, societies, bring them in? Why would you be doing that? See, when, you see, when something doesn't make sense, there's other reasons for all of this, you understand. All of it. All of it. And the people are left to blame each other, and different groups will blame each other, because you, you've got the consequences of it all. But the ones at the top, obviously, have planned all this for reasons that you'll never figure out. Because that's the, the real agenda here, too. Uh, is, uh, there's always a good reason, and there's a real reason. And for the public, they try to keep as far away from the real reason as possible. They, they really disguise it so well. But this is a, a good study, for those who have a bit of patience. And is detailed in the proper scientific uh, breakdown and examination of, of the test groups. And they're young too, by the way. It's important too to see what the offspring are like. Very like soya. Remember the whole thing with soya on the rats and mice that were used in that and various guinea pigs, etc. that they used for it. That The first generation, their fertility uh, dropped a fair bit. The children that were born in them were Maybe half, by that time, half of them could, could reproduce other could, could, The third generation are sterile. And that's what they forced on the pub. Oh, it's healthy. It's, oh, soya is going to be a savior to the world. And they made a big, oh, it's so healthy too. Oh, it's so healthy for you. Millions, and maybe today's it would be billions spent on, on uh, promoting all that stuff. So, anyway, in, in a study here with uh, the fluoride, they go into. Oh, it's just, it really is. You can actually put it together with people about the problems with the mitochondria and so on, and nuclear membrane and cell shrinkage of the brain, etc., observed in renal cell, in the kidney cells eh, of young pigs treated with fluoride. <laughs> so pigs as well.
and molecular basis of thyroid action is mainly concerned with cellular enzymes, especially antioxidant enzymes. High levels of fluoride in drinking water, 1 to 12 parts per million, affect central nervous system directly without first causing the physical deformities of skeletal fluorosis. So there you go. Right? So before you'll even see the signs of skeletal fluorosis, you'll find the central nervous system has got problems. It goes straight to that first before it affects anything else. And it says distinct alterations in brain have also been observed with the chronic administration of aluminium fluoride. It says histological changes in the brain of young fluoride intoxicated drugs have been uh, reported and they give the the ones who who studied it. However, most of the, the studies have so far been confined to the whole brain. The study reports the neural changes with respect to the different regions of the brain with emphasis of hippocampus, neocortex, and cerebellum of the brain, spinal cord, and sciatic nerve by using transmission electron microscope in rats administered with 20 parts per million of the particular fluoride for 60 days. So, yeah, they've used... uh, it's really quite uh, quite amazing. And right into the neurodegenerative changes and how they, they examined it and found it all and so on. Very well done study. Uh, so there's no real... I, I mean, I'm not shocked by by these findings because I've I've read for oh, many, many years, not from conspiracy sites either, but from uh, various medical journals and, and scientific journals. Uh, who all know this? They know what I'm talking about here. It's, it's really not new, but it's good to see it reaffirmed. Uh, by people who've still got the guts to, to publish it. If there's big agendas in, in the way, of course, you're, you're always going to find <laughs> opposition to try to silence it. That's the way it's done, isn't it? Isn't it really? There's another one too. It was from India as well about the aluminum they're finding in the soil from the geoengineering. If I can find that too, I'll put that one up as well. A good, uh, interesting study, again. It's not a, a makeshift thing. It's well done. And, of course, we know Monsanto came out with uh, aluminum-resistant seeds, eh? They, they can grow in, in heavily contaminated soil. It's got aluminum in it. Everything's understood at the top what they're doing. And, of course, that's one of the main particulates in the, the geoengineering spray is aluminum oxide. And you breathe it in, too, of course. And also um, uh, barium and various... And they're, they're even testing out, uh, I think it was... Sulfur particles and other things too, mind you, which are really nasty to be breathed in uh, for a period of time at all. Necessity, so you've got to save the planet, so you've got to right, don't complain, it's necessity. And just take their word for it that, they, that climate change is what they say it is. Uh, it's interesting if you, you understand, if, if you get a vehicle and it's a, a fairly new model of something, a motorbike or a car, whatever it happens to be. You start to see if you, when you see the same model passing. Now you, you can be you can be driving for years, but you never saw that. You never noticed that thing before until you get one yourself, that particular model yourself. And you start noticing that it's the same thing when it comes to climate because you, you just accept things. It's until some a big problem is made of it that you actually notice anything. So it can sound oh my god terrifying, eh? My god, I didn't realise it was going to rain today. I didn't get my raincoat with me. Oh, goodness me. But it's true. So they, they don't forget the articles I read years and years ago, too, from all the top NGO groups that are financed to propagandize us into existence. 
to terrify us. I should say in their own articles, the leaders and the CEOs, these groups and so on, and government departments, that we always put out scary, terrifying scenarios because the public won't take notice otherwise. You see? That's what you do. I'll put something like the SPICE project, Stratospheric Particle Injection for Climate Engineering, I'll put that up too. And they've got to different universities, University of Bristol, University of Cambridge, University of Oxford, and University of Edinburgh. And they began um, a collaboration in 2010, because that's what they use our tax money for as well, to brainwash us, you know. And the characters they use are departments now for, oh, it's, you know, ecological departments and so on. Because that's where the big money is going to be from the taxpayer. And they talk about uh, the project, what are the aims of the project, and how they're going to achieve the SPICE project. Well, what does it involve? There are three parts that they break it down to. And geoengineering and governance, you see. What is geoengineering and how is it governed? Right? Well, it's not by the public, that's for sure. We just breathe it in and do what we're told. But that's what they give you, isn't it? That's, that's exactly what they give you. And another one, two stratospheric wells back seeding for reduction of global warming. United States patent. And it's got the number in it here and all the rest of it. I think it's 5,003,186. And that's from 1991, this, this US patent, this particular one. So there's, a, oh yeah, there's lots of it there. Because you're like, whenever you see something emerging, they've, they've been planning that an awful long time ago, actually. And here's an article to go with it. Welcome to Climate Geoengineering Governance, a research project which aims to provide a timely basis for the governance of geoengineering through robust research on the ethical, legal, social and geopolitical implications of a range of geoengineering approaches. Well, there you go. eh? But is it democratic? Do you get any say in it? No. And it's got the different universities again here too. And the LWEC, it says, publishes geoengineering policy and practice note. Mm-hmm. Living with environment change. There you go. And why won't the UK make the sunshine for the Olympics? That was 2012. BBC. With the British weather threatening to put a damper on the Olympic Games, why doesn't the government just make the sunshine? At the risk of sounding like a mad scientist, blah, blah, it can be done, in theory at least. The Chinese government city clouds ahead of the 2008 Olympics opening ceremony to create a downpour elsewhere and keep the stadium dry. And they told you how they did it. It's old stuff, actually. This is, and they're using the old technique. But it's, it's still effective. And it says it's also possible to create to over-nucleate clouds with many particles so that they hold in their moisture until they've passed over the target area, experts say. So you can carry it away as well. You can make it happen. You can disperse it if you want, and it won't rain. Or you can move it to where you want it to rain. This is old stuff. It says cloud seeding is used around the world to prevent fog at airports, to stop hail damage in the cities, or to boost snowfall at ski resorts. And on and on it goes. This is important here too. It says the UK has a checkered history with the technique. In 1952, it says 35 deaths in the Linmouth flood disaster were linked at the time to RAF rainmaking experiments over southern England a few days earlier, although nothing was proved. Well, with Britain, whenever they do something, they never ever tell you the truth. They'll always deny it. But they, they, they were actually, it came out that they were doing the, the cloud seeding at the time to make it rain. Everything else that tested on the public was done uh, clandestinely too, including the spraying by naval ships off the East Coast. 
the spray went across the coast and they monitored a particular nasty substance that can be cancerogenic. And it was done with, uh, again, impunity again. Nothing comes out of it except, oh, well, they would never do anything to harm you, would they? Isn't it wonderful that the way they train us all? And the UN urged to freeze climate geoengineering projects, and that was um, 2010. The UN should impose a moratorium on geoengineering projects such as artificial volcanoes and vast cloud seeding schemes to fight climate change, Green Group says, fearing they could harm nature and mankind. It says the risks were too great because the impacts of manipulating nature on a vast scale were not fully known. They know. They know it's going to kill us off, and, and they've been doing it. They, they know how many folk are coming down every year with uh, terrible bronchial problems that often lead to death and, and recurrent infections and so on from it. Because it, once it makes your, your the lining of your trachea and your bronchials uh, inflamed and bacteria sets in over and over. They know this, so, and that's acceptable. The death rate is acceptable to get the agenda through. Because after all, you see, if there's too many alive, they claim, especially if they, if they manage to breed more, more. So they claim, as they flood the West with more and more and more people. Because there's no satisfying them, obviously, through logic. If people breed, then there's going to be problems, they claim. That was the biggest problem that, that, that faced the world, according to all the eugenicists, including uh, Julian Huxley, quite open about it. Anyway, envoys from 200 countries gathered in Nagoya, Japan, to agree targets to fight the destruction of forests and rivers and coral reefs and provide resources and services and so on at the time. But they said that, yeah, this, this stuff could uh, have terrible effects on the public. They're actually more worried about what it'll have on, on animal life. Because <laughs> they're greenies, eh? You go. They don't like humans too much. And developing an international framework for geoengineering. Uh, international organizations involved in it, um, different universities, University of Maryland, Carnegie Mellon University, etc., etc., etc. All old stuff, but it's all still gone on. There's just no end to it if you really care to look at it. And it's odd, too, if, if you if you repeat the same stuff from their own site, it should be called a conspiracy theorist. Uh, so it's uh, it's all as I say. That's that's the big. That's instead of the aliens invading the earth. It's this is here's your enemy. Uh, the climate's fighting you, and you're fighting the climate. So man's the problem. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, you got to admit it. You hand it to them. They understand psychology, and how to put it across. It really is. You, you got to admit it. Mind you, with endless tax money, all these different organisations and big foundation money too. And big paychecks for the CEOs of the NGOs. They actually have huge buildings, some of them, these NGOs. Eh? We don't vote for any of them, but they decide policy for all of us. See, that's how you're really governed. Eh? Uh, folk can't get their head around that. You think you're voting, and that's everything you have to do. But you don't get to vote for all these, these private organizations. They're really So that's how you're really governed, is through private organizations. Most folk are ignorant of, in fact. I'd like to just mention, too, something awfully important. And I've mentioned George Orwell many times. He's a bit of an enigma, the man. But he, I mean, he went off to fight for socialism against what he saw as, as really the, the fascist system. And he was very passionate about it. In his era, people had witnessed the massive marches to London for people who just to hand in uh, big, big charts for people who were protesting utter poverty before World War II started. And the reason for all was a massive taxation in an empire system where only this strange city of London 
and then maybe a couple hundred families seem to profit from it all. Maybe, well, maybe a lot more than that, but, but not that much. People who are in the outskirts who, who help the, the empire, they, they profit awfully well. But the vast majority of the public pay for it all. They pay for the wars. They pay for infrastructure across the planet. They, in all the empirical countries, they, they pay for the railroads. They pay for the military. But they get nothing back from it except the bills. There you go. You know That's the truth of it. But uh, that's what Orwell was, was really um, about too. And when he found out what real communism was, he says it's nothing like what he thought, his idea of what socialism would be. And so he became its enemy very quickly. Anyway, he says, freedom of the press. And this was a foreword in his book, Animal Farm. If you think, you see, it's not new. Suppression and censorship is not new. This is the book was first thought of so far, this the actual book, Animal Farm, as a central idea, it goes in 1937, but it's not written down until about the end of 1943. By the time when it came to be written, it was obvious that there would be great difficulty in getting it published, in spite of the present book shortage, which ensures that anything describable as a book will sell, and in the event it was refused by four publishers, only one of these had any ideological motive. Two had been publishing anti-Russian books for years, and the other had no noticeable political colour. One publisher actually started by accepting the book, but after making the preliminary arrangement, he decided to consult the Ministry of Information. The Ministry of Information is real. We all have departments of information, especially today. Because we're under the strange terrorist thing. Terrorists just spontaneously come out of nowhere. And so we all are under uh, your corporate-type management, you see. Anyway, get back to the article, it says, So, the Minister of Information, who appears to have warned him, at any rate, strongly advised him against publishing it, his book. And he gives an extract from his, from his letter and so on. It says here, this is what the publisher got, I guess. I mentioned the reaction I had from a, an important official in the Ministry of Information, which regards, with regards to animal farm. I must confess that this expression of opinion has given me seriously to think. I can never say that it might be regarded as something which it was highly advised to publish at the present time. If the fable were addressed generally to dictators and dictatorships at large, then publication would be all right. But the fable does follow, as I see it now, so completely the progress of the Russian Soviets and their two dictators that it can apply only to Russia. So that, that was why they, wouldn't, they didn't want to publish it. The same thing happened, of course, with 1984, which was published, I think, in 1947-48. But this, this one here, Animal Farm, you want to get published during World War II, when, of course, they were in bed with uh, the Soviet system. Don't think the Soviet system can't... Forget the fact it was Russia. That system can be put anywhere. In fact, I think there's more communists were actually living in the U.S. Right through that entire period, right up to the present time. And because you don't use the word communism anymore, doesn't mean that's not what they are. Often, it's, a, it's a so tragic that folk have to be given an actual name to identify something. If you don't get the name, you see, they, just, they don't think about it. And that's why the, 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 those who control you use names awfully frequently. They, just, they label you, you see. And they can get you to, to write hate somebody or whatever it happens to be, or a group, or you name it. That's your government's do. Anyway, it says here that... Uh, this is from the, the public, from his own publisher. I think the choice of pigs as a ruling caste will no doubt give offence to many people, and particularly to anyone who's a bit touchy, as undoubtedly the Russians are. This kind of thing is not a good symptom. This is Orwell again. Uh, obviously, it's not desirable that a government department should have any power of censorship, except. And this is awfully important <laughs> for folk who 
who are, unfortunately we, we get over, overdosed with data every day and most folk don't remember it. And that's why you have to be selective in your thoughts and, and selective in what you're thinking and selective in the topics. Everything else is just bubblegum. But back to his article and he says, this is obviously it's not desirable that a government department, this is Orwell, should have any power of censorship. Hmm? It's not desirable that a government department should have any power of censorship. And he says, except security censorship, which no one objects to in wartime. See, this is what I said before. Well, now it's terrorism. You can't say that. Hmm? See how we work as, as, a, as a... You suddenly become a, like a super tribe, basically. It doesn't matter how many cultures are involved. You become a super tribe when you think you're under threat. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. You can ration me. You can do this. You can do that. Okay. <laughs> this is uh, over books which are not officially sponsored. But the chief dangers to freedom of thought and speech... At this moment, it's not the direct interference of the Ministry of Information or any official body. If publishers and editors exert themselves to keep certain topics out of print, it is not because they are frightened of prosecution, but because they are frightened of public opinion. In this country, intellectual cowardice is the worst enemy a writer or journalist has to face, and that fact does not seem to me to have given, to have had the discussion it deserves. Any fair-minded person with journalistic experience will admit that during this war, official censorship has not been particularly irksome. We have not been subject to the kind of totalitarian coordination that might have been reasonable to expect. The press has some justified grievance, but on the whole, the government has behaved well and has been surprisingly tolerant of minority opinions. Except for the folk who didn't want the war, they locked them up, eh? <laughs> The sinister fact about literacy censorship in England is that it is largely voluntarily. So this is so important. Government li- likes you to go along voluntarily, but you know there's, there'll be consequences if you don't. You see, that's what law is, actually. It's always uh, coercion. It's always sitting about, you're, you're kind of coerced along. You know. But if you say no, that's when you get force applied, you see. That's how it all works. You get punished or your license gets withdrawn for whatever it happens to be, you name it. Unpopular ideas can be silenced and inconvenient facts kept dark without the need for any official ban. Anyone who has lived long in a foreign country will know of instances of sensational items of news, things which on their own would, own merits would get the big headlines being kept right out of the British press, not because the government intervened, but because of a general tacit agreement that it wouldn't do, as they say, it wouldn't do to dimension that particular fact. So, far as the daily newspapers go, this is easy to understand, but British press is extremely centralised, and most of it is owned by wealthy men who have every motive to be dishonest on certain important topics. But the same kind of veiled censorship also operates in books and periodicals, as well as in plays, films, and radio. Understand what I'm saying before? is isn't just me saying that. Your propaganda is, is embedded as well, not just things kept out, but propaganda. They want you to believe is put through children's books and movies and everything that you read. You don't realize how brainwashed you are, as you think you're enjoying yourself. <laughs> At any given moment, there is an orthodoxy, a body of ideas, which is assumed that all right-thinking people will accept without question. See? 
It's not exactly forbidden to say this, that, or the other, but it is simply not done to say it. Just as in mid-Victorian times it was not done to mention trousers in the presence of a lady. You couldn't even say lady anymore. Anyone who challenges the prevailing orthodoxy finds himself silenced with surprising effectiveness. See, peer groups can be trained very quickly to turn against someone who, who is thinking outside the box. And they really do. People like to be huddled together like penguins in their little groups and sects and whatever it happens to be. Remember the studies I read from, again, university studies on, on peer groups and propaganda and indoctrination. And they, they found the different groups from working classes and different men, women, and so on. And they found that the ones who were uh, middle class, basically middle class, who socialized, they adapted to all new policies very quickly, very quickly. And they'd, they'd talk about it with their drinky poos as they stood there and chatted to each other. And they'd all have the same books, the recent ones that were suggested. And suggestions, see, it's like an order. Oh, yeah, well, yes, I've got so-and-so's book, isn't it? Yeah. And, and you see, they've got all the right things, and etc. And they've got the way of the right things, and they all drive the same things, and yada, yada, yada. They're, they're, they're very conformist. So it's easy to, to manage them. Very easy. And when it's anything said from professional bodies, they immediately part it without thinking. They'll, they'll never question it. The folk who had less education question things far, far more. So education domesticates you more and more and more until you can't, you can't retain any natural survival instincts. This is not my word. This is the studies that they've done. You see. But anyway, I'll get back to Orwell's little article here. He goes through different parts of uh, how different countries uh, kept down free speech, etc., etc., etc. Well, look what's happening in all our countries today, where you've been told what to believe about everything that you if they turned everything upside down, and even they can put you in, in, in jail for not going along with what you're told to say. What you're told to say, or what you're told to call somebody. You're in trouble, folks. We're all in trouble here. This is a scientifically controlled society, if you haven't figured it out. Also, too, I'll put up, I've got a whole bunch of stuff, as I say, geoengineering governance research. Oh, this is too much of actually on the regulation of geoengineering, international framework on geoengineering, and uh, etc. Because it's way, way back, all this stuff. It's too much to even go over. I've read it all, but most folk can't be bothered or they don't have the time. But that's what you're living through, is a, a massive system of control. And then you have, let me think, what else have I got here? I've got, let's go back to a, a guy who definitely was hailed, they always give you your heroes, even though they're monsters, some of them. But it is interesting to, to read them, and, and to remind yourself of things. Eh? People who really were part of what was called the, the World Empire System, is still on the go, big time, it's closer to than ever before. And... Bertrand Russell, um, who, who talked about the impact of science on society. You've got to try and remember, th- you know, don't overdose yourself with data. So, so you, you, there's so much data, conflicting data thrown at you all the time. But understand what's important to you. Most folk won't care. They, they, they really have been domesticated. And they believe that, well, there's always specialists taking care of us. Well, when did that become part of democracy? A specialist taking care of all your, all, everything? Really? Is that what you're, a perpetual child you're being taken care of? Did you give her permission to have all your rights to take care of yourself taken away from you? 
Every statement demands a question. So here we have what he says, what Russell said, right? And his whole agenda, too, is there's too many of the wrong people, blah, 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 blah. Same thing. He says on page 50, he says, Fichte laid it down, the philosopher, that education should aim at destroying free will. I'll repeat that for the heart of thinking. Fichte said, or he laid it down, that education should aim at destroying free will, so that after pupils have left school, they shall be incapable for the rest of their lives of thinking or acting otherwise than as their schoolmasters would have wished. But in his day, this was an unattainable ideal. What he regarded as the best system in existence produced Karl Marx. I'd actually say it, was, it produced more than just Karl Marx. Here today, we're told that what you see isn't real. It's something else. And you better go along with it. Anyway, it says, in the future, such failures are not likely to occur where there is dictatorship. You see, you're really under a form of dictatorship. If you don't have a say in anything, and, you're, and you better obey, 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 and, and don't say what you think, and don't say what you see, you're forbidden to. You're not in a democracy, folks. So he says, really, it's a form of dictatorship. Of course it is. This matter is an oligarchy or whatever of scientists. It's a store dictatorship type of system. Is dictated to you, ordered, see? And then use diet, diet, injections, and injunctions will combine from a very early age to produce the sort of character and the sort of beliefs that the authorities consider desirable. And any serious criticism of the powers that will become psychologically impossible. Even if all are miserable, all will be believe themselves as happy because the government will tell them that they are so. You're happy, aren't you? Look at all the ads on TV. Smiling faces everywhere. Hmm? A totalitarian government with a scientific bent might do things to us would seem horrifying. Then he goes into the Nazis who were eugenicists they, and, and they praised Britain and they praised the US and the Rockefeller boys and so on. Uh, and the Cold Springs Harbor, science labs, etc. Uh, and they used all their techniques that actually put them into effect <laughs> openly, okay, more openly, I'd say. And eugenics, of course. Because they were more scientific than the present rulers of Russia and more inclined towards the sort of atrocities that I've said that I have in mind, he says, that I have in mind. This is ours, he's, he's thinking of doing, right? Uh, so, so the Nazis were more inclined towards the sort of atrocities that I have in mind, he says. They were said, and I do not know what, what is, how much truth is, you know, to use prisoners in concentration camps as material for all kinds of, ex, of experiments, some involving death after much pain. By the way, if you, it's, 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 it's amazing how they always hammer Germany, even though the Germans copied it all to say from Britain. And the, and the eugenicists and the Darwinian groups too, they're still on the go. The, the actual eugenics groups have changed their name, but they're still on the go. And and uh, the groups in, in America, it's just astonishing, isn't it? So the, the loser always gets hammered. And Julian Huxley had to reinvent the term for eugenics because uh, he was he didn't even hesitate to carry on with the whole, the whole eugenics uh, agenda after World War Two. So anyway, uh, he says that the Soviets didn't have the same kind of uh, scientific abilities or whatever. But he says that's what they would use. As you all think you're happy, 
because a, a totalitarian government will tell you so. Do you understand that you, you are in a sci-fi? If you haven't read Acres of Skin, you should read it. It's a pretty, it's a modern book about all the prisoners used in American prisons and elsewhere for medical experiments and they injected cancer cells and I mean, all kinds of things. It's, it's quite, quite the read for those that can handle it. And this is in so-called peacetime. So he talks about uh, all this experimentation on humans and, and, and camps. Some involving death after much pain. If they had survived, they would probably have soon taken to scientific breeding. Any nation which adopts this practice will, within a generation, secure great military advantages. I mean, they're talking about literally genetic manipulations and, and eventually what they used to call test tube babies and then out of the womb uh, children. And it says here, a secure great military environment. So you, you would create clothes. Where do you, all, the, all those X-Files and stuff came from? You could, just, somebody made that up. It was about all the, the possibilities that scientists had, had envisaged long ago as they sat around their big tables discussing things they could, they could work towards. And how could they create the super soldiers? Lots of articles over many years about super soldiers, how to create a super soldier, and even how to take away their complete, um, their, any kind of fear they might have, just literally silence that part of the brain where fear resides in them, things like that. Remember, the whole point is to win for, for those who, who rule. So he talks about great military advantages. And I'll put up the article too about um, China. And this has been more open, I think, really, uh, has gone ahead with a lot of this kind of testing of, of uh, a purpose-made person, basically. And again, he'd gone forever with these, just each area I'm talking about here is just almost endless with data now. But it says here, um, the system one may surmise will be something like this, except possibly in the governing aristocracy. All but 5% of males and 30% of females would be sterilized. This is the great Bertrand Russell. Isn't it? I mean, he was all for this. The 30% of females will be expected to spend the years from 18 to 40 in reproduction in order to secure adequate cannon fodder. Breed youngsters for, for military, for more. As a rule, artificial insemination will be preferred to the natural method. And of course, Brave New World was... Already written before that, I think, before this book came out. And this is just one little excerpt from it. His book, Bertrand Russell. The great Bertrand Russell. The guy who, who literally said that anyone who, who was elected to join uh, the ruling groups of scientists, for instance, and who wouldn't leave if they're from a lower class, he's pretty quite open about how he saw people, and uh, if, they, if they wouldn't leave their own class behind them and families and, that, and become one of them and meaning secrecy and working towards something, he said they'd have to be literally eliminated because they'd have the understanding of what's going on and the ability to communicate to other people. Russell was a, a vastly different person than, than, again, why do you think they become such a hero? for a Hero for what? Because he was against nuclear war and so on? See, the elite always say there's too many people. These are the causes of war. That's what they say. It goes on and on and on. And it's well understood that the countries that were reducing their populations very successfully don't get any thanks for it. And, and, and your, your own governments that push it for years and years and generations 
uh, opened just opened up, you know, the floodgates now to mass migration. So obviously, there's something else at work here, isn't there? Obviously, of course there is. It's an old agenda, and they're they're rather open about it at the top. You're the problem, all of you. And they're dealing with it as far as they're concerned. Again, they take 10-year plans, 50-year plans, 100-year plans for different parts of their project. The UN does the same thing, if you notice. And, of course, the Soviet system uses the same technique for different aspects of their policies to be implemented. That's how it works. So you're living through an incredible system that the public... I have a hard time understanding Because they are so brainwashed Incredibly well brainwashed And you can do more effective brainwashing To a five year old's mind By showing them videos uh, Altered of whatever it happens to be Or even deforestation Or a clear cut thing that was done in the 1940s And say, oh this is what they've done yesterday And and they'll think that, oh my god, they're destroying nature And the music's behind it And and there's a woman's voice generally narrating Soft and bond And the music comes on And the music's bum 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 And you're sitting chewing your fingernails And that'll never leave them The imprint will always be there And they'll do anything to save the planet Because they just saw the whole planet didn't have a tree left on it You know, in this video Just too easy Emotion, emotional impact using more senses than ever. Uh, they've talked to if they can add even the smell to a video, not just auditory and 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 visual things like that. It has it has more of a, a a fixing of the impact on in your mind. It fixes it in your mind. Anyway, I've prattled on a bit too much and I didn't even want to go in that area. But it's still eugenics, as I say. Everything that has happening now is to do with eugenics and a big, big plan. It's very old. It's talked about quite openly in their own groups and clubs and so on. But as I say, whatever you're given for reality is nonsense. It's nonsense. You're never given the real reasons for anything. Never. Because you wouldn't be happy. And you might protest. And if you want to manage animals, you don't spook the animals, do you? A shepherd doesn't go in and say, I fancy some mutton tonight, and just grab one of the sheep in the pen there, you know, and, 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 and kill it in front of the rest of them. He'll try to get it out quietly as possible and far away from them. That's how you manage domesticated animals. It's quite easy. Anyway, Hope I've been too depressing for you. Remember, you can buy the books and discs at cuttingthroughthematrix.com or donate to me. And you'll find out how to do it on my website. And remember, my websites are the official sites. And that's the only ones you can actually order from. Anyone else doing it, it's not my site at all. So for orders, definitely, or donations, definitely go to cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Because I've, I've had con people doing that before, using my name. And uh, <laughs> do amazing things. It's quite a world we live in, isn't it? But there you are. So you can help me take along by donating at least to cuttingthroughmedias.com and you'll find out how to do it. There. Remember, too, you can use checks or, or cash even or, or the various other methods to uh, send a few pennies here or there. So take care of yourselves from Alan Watt from Ontario, Canada. It's good night. I mean, your God or your gods go with you. 